We the ones. We the ones they talking about. Broadway Sports Media. Choose your fighter. Justin and Justin Titans podcast show. Some of it was bad, but hopefully you'll you probably piece something together. Outstanding. There's an earthquake in the middle of the podcast. Unbelievable. We're begging for listeners. That's all we do. We all we got. Hey, Titans on three. One, two, three. Welcome in, everyone, to another episode of the Music City Audible podcast presented by Broadway Sports Media. We are partnered with 440 Sports, and we are here to talk about another Titans loss. Then we will preview a Thursday night football Christmas Eve Eve, not Christmas Eve, but Christmas Eve Eve game against the Niners. I'm Justin Graver. Joining me as always, Justin Mello. How's it going on this fine Tuesday night? I'm doing well. I mean, it's it's a short week. You better consume this episode before Thursday's game against San Francisco. We're, we're rolling it out to you on Wednesday morning. It should give you plenty of time because obviously this show is your main priority in life. Exactly. So let's get into it. We will have a good buddy of ours, Kyle Madsen, who covers the Niners. Um, so he'll be on later to preview that game. But first, let's cover some news items because there was a little bit that happened this week. Firstly, Elijah Molden was one of the many, many, many NFL players to test positive for COVID again. So Elijah Molden placed on the Titans reserve COVID list, but a possible replacement for him. Chris Jackson has been designated to return from the injured reserve list, as has wide receiver A.J. Brown. Huge news for the Titans offense if A.J. can actually get back and active for Thursday's game. There's some... Rumors that he might not be able to make it. Teron Davenport was saying that he might or might not, so we'll have to stay tuned for that. But some news there in the fact that the Titans might get a receiver back, might get a slot cornerback back, but also lost their rookie slot corner. Thoughts? Yeah, I mean, first of all, uh, the Molden thing, you pretty much almost guarantee he's out for Thursday, right? It being a short yeah. week going on the COVID list on Monday, he's almost certainly not going to clear it by then. So you could effectively rule him out. Uh, you get Chris Jackson back potentially. That would be a huge boost, almost offsetting in my opinion. People forget Chris Jackson was playing really good football uh, before he went down on IR with the foot injury. That was a foot injury, by the way, he had been battling through. Something that stuck in my mind uh, several weeks ago when Mike Vrabel was asked a question about guys battling through injuries. He specifically singled out Chris Jackson, who, and I quote said, has been essentially playing on one foot. So Chris Jackson went on IR. I think he's actually missed more than three games. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but uh, we, we should probably look into it. But I think he missed at least four. So he was on IR even longer, I, I believe, than necessary. But it looks like you might be able to get him back from Thursday. He does have some inside-outside versatility. Started his career as a slot corner. Has played outside quite a bit this season. But if he is back for Thursday with Molden out, I, I almost certainly expect him uh, to take up Molden's role there in the slot AJ Brown news. I mean, what a sigh of relief that would be to get him back. I don't think we can overstate how important it is for Tennessee to get him back. Uh, you've watched this offense enough without the likes of him and Derrick Henry and, and, and obviously Julio Jones for the most part. Uh, these receivers, you know, are, are not gaining a lot of separation. You're starting the likes of Cody Hollister and Nick Westbrook and Chester Rogers is getting a lot of snaps and it's been Des Fitzpatrick at times and, and, and God knows who the hell else, but uh, you would really like to see AJ Brown back. They almost certainly need him in this game to have a chance. I know that might sound silly of me to say, but if you've watched this offense the last couple of weeks and how much they're turning over the football, how much they're missing these big plays, the way San Francisco is surging right now, you're going to have to put up a couple points. Uh, you know, 10, 13 points is not going to win you this game. So uh, it really feels like they really do need AJ Brown out there on Thursday. 
absolutely. And we saw at practice um, on Tuesday, Julio Jones was like standing out on the field, but he didn't seem to participate. He didn't have his helmet on for any of the open portions. So, and, and he got a DNP on the practice report. So not sure what his status is. I would be pretty shocked if he played this weekend or this Thursday because of his, I mean, he left the game in a, in a situation where the Titans needed to go score to, in order to win. It wasn't like, oh, the Titans are like the indie game. We're up like, 20, oh, the Titans yeah. are winning. Yeah, we don't need to go put Julio in and risk an injury. It was like, the Titans need to go score a touchdown. They need their best receiver on the field, and they didn't. So, yes, that's the news. I think we can just tr- segue right into the game recap from there because the Titans dominated the Steelers. They dominated them on the field. And they lost by six points because they turned the ball over four times. And they didn't force any turnovers. And they, they, I mean, it's crazy looking at just like the raw stats. It's something that Paul Kaharski tweeted out. Titans had the ball for 39 minutes, had a yardage advantage, 318 to 168, converted 44% of third down tries compared to 17% by Pittsburgh, and out first downed the Steelers by 10 more first downs. And they lost because... They turned the ball over three times in a 10-play span. It's getting so ridiculous at this point that the Titans cannot protect the football. In their last four games, they have three losses. In the three losses, they turned it over 13 times and forced zero turnovers. I mean, you can't win football games like that. It's it's fucking crazy. It's absolutely mind-blowing. And the fumble stat that you said that you'll say later with Kyle, if you want to say it again now. <laughs> yeah, I believe they have fumbled 14 times. They put the ball on the ground 14 times in those three losses. They lost seven of them. It's crazy. And to me, it feels so fluky. And we talked about this after the New England game because they turned the ball over nine times in two games after that game. And we were like, is this because there's no skill players on the field that aren't practice squad players? Or is this just a fluke? And we were like, oh, it's kind of both. And now that it's happened three times in four games, it feels a lot more like a trend than a fluke. Right. But at the same time, it's like Anthony Ferguson just gets the ball punched out of his hands. Racy McMath has like, how many even touches does he have this year? Like three? I think that was his second catch of the season. <laughs> and, he, and he had one reverse, right? And he fumbled his second catch of the season. Um, again, this Tannehill, goes back to what, I'm sorry, this goes back to what I keep saying that, yeah, you can call them fluky, but I am a big believer in when you have bad football players on the field, bad shit tends to happen, right? It just that you turn over the ball, you get holding penalties, which they, you know, you get offensive line penalties, which they had several of in this game, by the way, that, that several that could have been backbreaking. You had two near the red zone uh, in, near the end. I think one on uh, Aaron Brewer, one on Taylor Lewan. I think Kissingberry might've had one that was declined. So bad shit happens when you have bad football players on the field and at the skill position group, they essentially have nothing but bad football players. I mean, you can, you know, Foreman's been good. Don't get me wrong. I don't hate Dontrell Hilliard and Nick Westbrook is a possession receiver that can, you know, move the chains occasionally and make some catches for you. Reminds me a little bit of Tajay Sharp from a few years ago, maybe, maybe slightly more athletic, but I wouldn't say a whole lot more. Uh, but when you have bad football players on the field, bad stuff happens. And again, I think you start getting away from the fluke aspect of it when you see it time and time and time again. It wasn't happening when they had Derrick Henry, Julio Jones and AJ Brown on the field healthy. It's happening now. Exactly. And I will say the part of the pass protection problems, I also think stem from not having great receivers, whether it's Tannehill not trusting that his receiver will be in the the right place to anticipate the throw and get the ball out quickly, or just not having guys that can get open in two seconds against man coverage. And then Tannehill has to hold the ball and go to a second read and get sacked because his right tackle can't hold a pass block for more than two seconds. So 
it's all a disaster and it all comes back to the players that are missing. I think, and Paul Kaharski wrote an article about this, but I thought this independently, so I'm not crediting him. Um, <laughs> I think kind of did Brown, already, but go on. Whatever. I just wanted to like say that I'm not ripping it off of him, but okay, <laughs> whatever. AJ Brown, I think, has been more important to this Titans offense than Derrick Henry. And that might be crazy, but just seeing what's happened since AJ went down, the offense has completely had just no juice, no explosiveness. And every time the Titans try to hit a pass downfield, somebody gets gives up a, a sack. So it's just like a whole mess of nonsense. But I want to talk about the defense too, because the defense deserves a shout out. They are playing such good football. They held the Steelers to so few yards, 168 total yards, only 35 rushing yards, only 133 passing yards, two for 11 on third down. I mean, this defense is playing at a Super Bowl level. One for three in the red zone was Pittsburgh. But when the offense keeps setting up the other team with such short fields, I mean, they only gave up 19 points anyway. Like, if you can't score 20 points in a football game, you don't deserve to win anyway. Pittsburgh consistently took the ball over in, in great field position in, in Tennessee's territory at times, and they came up with essentially nothing but field goals. Right? They attempted five exactly. field goals in the game. They made four of them. They won this game literally because the offense handed it to them. Feel terrible for the defense. I really do. They were swarming to the football. They played, I'm telling you, I mean, I don't know how much of the game you get, ended up catching, uh, Justin. I know you were moving, but they played with so much attitude. They were swarming to the ball. I think they played with more energy than I've seen them play all year long. And, and that's a big compliment because they've played some really good games this season, especially lately, but they played terrific. Zach Cunningham comes in, leads the team in tackles, by the way, gets the start next to Rashawn Evans. I thought Rashawn Evans was excellent as well. I know that's sometimes a, a taboo thing to say, but he was really, <laughs> really good. Uh, Jayon Brown's uh, replaced Cunningham on passing downs, but these guys were swarming to the ball. They played with so much attitude and effort. They really were terrific. And they're doing it slightly shorthanded as well. No, they're not missing as big names, of course, as the offense is. But you don't have Jack Rabbit Jenkins. You don't have uh, T.R. Tart. You don't have David Long. Like They are missing pieces as well. You haven't had Chris Jackson in several weeks. You're starting Buster Screen on the outside, who they just signed off the street a few weeks ago, who is playing really well, by the way, continues to play really well. Greg Nabin played about 15 snaps at corner uh, to, to um, as well and, and came up with a big pass breakup on one of the first plays of the game. I think it was Pittsburgh's first third down on Chase Claypool. Like all of these guys are playing really well. They are playing at a Super Bowl level. They just need a little help from the offense, which means they need to get those guys back health. Which is why I'm not super concerned long-term, but the Titans need to win two of their last three games here in order to actually like get into the playoffs with the way Indy is surging. So I'm a little worried about that, but hopefully AJ Brown is back and the defense can do what they need to do. By the way, Chris Jackson missed three games, four weeks, but it was only three, three games. My apologies. Um, for some reason, it felt like an extra one. Yeah. All right. Well, that'll do it for our recap of a, an atrocious outing against the Steelers in which the offense put up a ton of yards, but only 13 points. All right. We are very excited to welcome in our guest for this episode he is the midday producer for 95.7 the game and the managing editor for niners wire as well as the host of candlestick chronicles podcast part of blue wire pods we are very thrilled to welcome in kyle madsen a titans fan who covers the niners professionally kyle how's it gone uh, yeah what's up guys justin asked me to do this and i was like yeah i mean of course i'd be offended if you didn't ask so i'm, <laughs> I'm happy to be here i'm very excited Nice. Justin, you want to kick us off with some questions? Yeah. I mean, first of all, my, my good friend, Kyle Madsen here. So excited to have Kyle here. Kyle and I started together at the Titans Wire years ago. A fun fact that none of you probably care about, 
but I'm going to tell you anyway. Um, first question I have for you, Kyle, is this San Fran team, I mean, it was a couple of weeks ago, people were releasing articles saying Kyle Shanahan's not as good as people think he is. And yeah, and there's, there's a lot going on there. I mean, you yourself told me they, they were playing pretty poorly, obviously, the first nine weeks of the season. Fast forward now, what have they won five of their last six? I think it is. I mean, they're firing on all cylinders. Very simple question. What happened? Well, they stopped giving the ball away and started taking the ball away. And the Titans, when they the Titans that, should think about trying that themselves. It's a bold strategy. It's worked out so far. Um, but no, that's the thing is this team isn't built to play from ahead or from, from behind. They're, they're built to play from ahead where they can get behind their good offensive line, their good run blocking offensive line and, and let Elijah Mitchell or Jeff Wilson Jr. or Debo Samuel lately kind of go to work. And that's where Kyle Shanahan can get in his bag, really, just designing and scheming run games. And you've seen it when they get a turnover or two early on. They extend these drives. You saw that hellacious drive they had against the Rams, and then they had another one uh, the following week against the Jags where they went, I think it was like 11 minutes and 13 minutes to, to open games. So that's that's kind of been the formula for them. And Jimmy Garoppolo, too, um, deserves a mention because he's been really, really good by kind of the standard that he set. Is he a top three quarterback in the league? No, but he's not turning the ball over. He's converting on third downs. He's converting in the red zone. And when you do that, you're going to win a lot of football games. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned Jimmy G because that's where I wanted to go next. It seems like, well, obviously the Niners traded up a lot to get Trey Lance. And he played a little bit early in the season when Jimmy G was hurt. And he was used like very, very sparingly in some packages early on. But we haven't seen any Trey Lance in a long time and Jimmy Garoppolo is playing so well. Do you think that Trey Lance is going to be seen at all again this season? And is Jimmy G's performance here kind of like playing so well because he knows what's waiting behind him. And uh, how do you see that playing out? So I don't think we'll see Lance again. I think that that was something that Kyle Shanahan going into the year was anticipating being able to execute better than he was able to. I don't know specifically how it works, but it was explained to me by somebody who knows Shanahan. Like he thinks like three and four plays ahead. So he's calling play A with play D in mind. And I guess he just can't do that when he's trying to work Trey Lance in. I don't know how that works. Like if you have a fourth and one, put your giant running quarterback in the game and do something fun with it. Right. So I don't know if it's a, <laughs> it, seems, it seems pretty obvious. But I don't know if it's a developmental thing. Like they thought he was going to be able to throw it and run it where defenses wouldn't be able to key on one thing and he's just not developing as a passer. So they, they're not comfortable calling those plays or whatever it is. Um, but it Garoppolo's play seems to have gotten better as the season's gone on. And that happened in 2019 too. And some people have speculated it's because Shanahan kind of said, hey, we're shutting the Trey Lance thing down. People have kind of stopped asking about it. Like after every game, reporters right. are going, "Hey, where's when's Trey going to play?" Z? I just don't think it's going to happen unless unless Garoppolo gets hurt. And and I think the plan is still for Lance to play next year. But as far as this season, I think that that uh, that ship's kind of sailed. Right. At the risk of looking too far ahead, because we are really pumped up for this game, how do you think this plays out this coming off season? Because it it could get a little bit sticky, especially with how well Jimmy's playing right. Yeah, I don't think the door is open for him to come back. Like if there if that if that door was open still, they wouldn't have traded three first round picks to draft his replacement. 
if Shanahan thought like, yeah, I can still be convinced, you know, maybe they draft Kyle Trask or Kellen Mond or whatever and, and call it good. But they didn't. They traded three first round picks to move up because they, they know they wanted to move on from Jimmy. And Garoppolo, frankly, like early in the year was bad. He was he was not good. I made some nice throws here and there, but there were a lot of mistakes. Uh, the the Seahawks game that they lost a couple of weeks ago, he just threw two inexplicable interceptions. And you can just tell the ceiling of the offense is lower than it would be if they had if Trey Lance develops like they think he will. So I think it's very much still the plan to move on from Garoppolo. What happens? I don't I don't know exactly. Uh, there's speculation that if he keeps playing well and they make a little playoff run that they could get a first round pick for him. I don't know if I see that, but you think if a team like the saints, if they decide that, that they need Jimmy Garoppolo and they have a good run game and a good defense or Pittsburgh, good run game, good defense that, that he can kind of, uh, help manage that team and just convert on third downs and in the red zone, you could see them maybe giving something up for that, even though you might have to extend him and, and he's 30 years old. And um, I think they wind up trading him though. What they get for him, I I wouldn't even venture a guess, but uh, I, I think that's kind of how it winds up working out. I don't see him staying in San Francisco. Interesting. I want to ask about Debo Samuel because this guy has been maybe the most unique, versatile playmaker in the NFL we've seen in some time now. He's got over a thousand receiving yards, seven receiving touchdowns, 250 plus rushing yards, five rushing touchdowns. He became the first wide receiver in NFL history to have a thousand receiving yards, five receiving touchdowns or more and five rushing touchdowns or more in a season ever earlier this year. How does a team try to stop Debo Samuel? How can the Titans try to contain this playmaker? Uh, Great question. Uh, if I have the correct answer, I need them to hire me. Um, right. No, it's just, that's, that's the inexplicable thing. And nobody that watches the 49ers with any regularity can figure it out because when it's not like they do a bunch of tricky stuff with it, it's like Debo lines up to the right of Garoppolo in the gun and they hand it off and he runs outside zone and they block it perfectly. And he's just naturally, he doesn't pre- so I found this out today. Uh, Nick Wagner from ESPN tweeted that he does not spend any time in the meeting room with the running backs and doesn't like practice at all, like with running backs. He's just naturally good at getting to the corner, finding a hole. And I think he's kind of deceptively fast because he's built like a tank. Like he's, he's so compact. And I, I, I just think he's faster than a lot of guys realize. And he runs hard. He's not super easy to tackle. And when he gets the edge, A, you have to catch him, and B, you have to get him to the ground, and that's just not easy to do. So uh, you stack the line, I guess, and yeah. you try and get more numbers to that side than the Niners bring. But Shanahan, again, is so good at scheming that if you do that, he's going to find something and attack the weakness that you're creating. So I, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not really sure. It's still inexplicable because they'll run a stretch play with, with Samuel. And it's like, Oh, they have it stacked up. There's, there's guys there. And then he's gone and he has a 20 yard touchdown. So (laughs) I got, I have nothing for you. I mean, the Seahawks just the Seahawks, I think gave a little bit of the blueprint. Like they just lined up like nine guys in the box. They were like, Hey, if, if Brandon, Ayuk and Jawan Jennings are going to beat our guys one-on-one, then so be it, but you're not going to beat us with the running game. And that kind of seemed to work, but uh, it, it didn't work the following week for, for Cincinnati. And it, it definitely didn't work last week for, for the Falcons, but the Falcons are 
maybe the worst team in the league. Yeah. So <laughs> I can't really draw anything from that. They stink. I, I think my favorite, and I'm going to move on, but I think my favorite storyline heading into this matchup might be Kyle Shanahan and Debo Samuel and how he schemes that run game against the Titans defense that's swarming to the football right now. That's really underrated because the offense is giving away the ball and they're losing games, but 18 rushing yards allowed the last two weeks to Najee Harris and uh, James Robinson, 18, sorry, 22 rushing yards on 18 carries the last two weeks. Titans have given up to, to star running backs. Um, I, I want to ask about George Kittle though, because yeah, a lot of love for Debo, but how much of this, this offensive resurgence do we attribute to George Kittle, who I just absolutely love? A lot of it because when their offense was struggling, George Kittle looked really ordinary. It's like, you know, four targets and three catches and 26 yards and stuff like that. It's not a coincidence that he goes off for, was it 13 and a buck 81 and two touchdowns against, against the Seahawks and then nine and a buck 51 and a touchdown against Cincinnati. And it's like, oh, hey, they're averaging almost seven yards of play. Like, that's crazy. When you get your super talented tight end involved in the offense, what happens? And then last week, I think he had six catches for 93 yards. Like, he's just, he's such a unique weapon in that you have to respect the fact that he can block. But at the same time, uh, you have to always have eyes on him in the, in, the, in the passing game. And you can't bring him down with one guy. He's a much better route runner now than he was. And he's just flat out getting open now. It's not like he's just being more physical or being schemed open. Uh, he's a really, really hard player to to guard. So, yeah, they their their offensive ceiling involves George Kittle being heavily involved. Um, and when he's not, it's just a mistake. Like force him the football. That's one of my biggest issues with Kyle Shanahan. Is like, let's say the Titans just go in and say, "Hey, we're not we're not letting George Kittle beat us. We're gonna bracket him and we're gonna cover him with four guys and." Like Shanahan will go away from it in like a third and five. It's like, no, just get number 85, the ball, like forcing the ball. Um, and that's kind of what they've been doing lately. And lo and behold, their offense is cooking. So uh, that has a lot to do with, with Kittle. I think both as a run blocker and a receiver. Yeah, no kidding. I think the Titans defense certainly will have their hands full because we know what kind of offense the Niners can run, but flipping to the other side of the ball, the Titans should be able to attack this Niners defense through the air, but can the Titans do that with no receiving weapons? We don't know what AJ Brown's status is. He's back in practice. He might return to this game, but how do you see the Titans kind of like, or what would you say would be the best way for the Titans to try to attack this San Francisco defense? Because the Titans on their own, like they have to do something. I feel like they have to play like they did against Jacksonville where it's just very conservative and don't turn the ball over almost like extra emphasis on not turning the ball over do you think that'll affect how they play offense against the Niners who have been really good at generating turnovers? Yeah, you have to, because the Niners this year are five and oh, when they win the turnover battle, like that's just, that's their. I know that that's typically like a key to victory for every team, but with the Niners, because of what they can do in the run game and because of how opportunistic their defense is, if you get one dimensional on them and their pass rush can just pin their ears back and go, um, Arden key uh, has been like a revelation for them this year. He has five sacks it's a career high. They're kicking him inside now. And with him at, at one of the tackle spots with Bosa next to him, there's so many things they can do with, with games and stunts up front. Uh, Bosa is moving around on the defensive line now, which is not something he's done in the past. Um, so when that pass rush starts getting after the quarterback, it's, it's really hard to beat them, especially with, 
Fred Warner and Aziz Al Shire in the second level, both really good in coverage, both really effective uh, at not giving up a ton of yards after the catch. But their secondary is, I should say, their cornerbacks because Jimmy Ward and Jaquaski Tart are their two starting safeties, good players. Um, they're not Kevin Byard, but they're they're fine. Um, their their cornerback situation is is as bad as it gets. Uh, Josh Norman is starting on one side. They signed Josh Norman the Monday before week one. He was just on the street as a cornerback in 2021. Like if you're that you stink. Um, and he leads the league in penalties or he was, I think he still is. Uh, he gave up a long catch last week to uh, a Falcons receiver who I'd never heard of. Um, the other starting corner is Ambry Thomas, our third round pick out of Michigan. He only got put in because uh, a Niners player had a personal personal uh, issue that kept him out of a game. And so Ambry Thomas started and Ambry Thomas was the one who got cooked by Jamar chase like four times in, in the Niners went over the Bengals. And I think if you're the Titans, you're watching what Joe Burrow did in the fourth quarter and overtime against San Francisco. And you're following that because in the fourth quarter, Joe Burrow was uh, nine of 13 for a buck 61 and two touchdowns. <laughs> And then in overtime was two of two for 49 yards. Like you figure out a way to move the pocket and Tannehill, we know is a good athlete and can do that. You figure out ways to move the pocket and you figure out ways to, to target a guy like Amber Thomas or Josh Norman downfield, because even if you don't complete it, they're liable to commit a penalty. Like it's been a huge problem for San Francisco all year. So find ways to get time. And when you have it, get, get rid of the football, just get it down the field. And there's a good chance for big plays. Titans fans would very, very, very much like to see AJ Brown line up against Josh Norman on Thursday. I'm, because if they got to go through one more game of Cody Hollister and whoever the <laughs> hell else they've been rolling out, I mean, it's, it's, it's Titans, Titans Twitter is not a fun place to be right now. I'll say that. Yeah, I can imagine. But uh, again, like it, like Russell Gage had a, had a huge game and Russell Gage is having a nice year, but like he just went up. Embry Thomas is in position like three times and Gage just mossed him three times. Like it, Thomas just isn't quite there yet. Like I said, the one shot they took against Josh Norman, the receiver had three steps on him. Like they're there to be had. The problem is, is their pass rush has been so good when you have to go deep drop to let that route develop. And then you have to step up into the throw. There's not a lot of room. And then you start and having the, to scramble and get free. And the Titans ahead. have been so bad with pass protection that that is my biggest concern here is the Titans over the last few games, they've missed so many big plays downfield because Tannehill got sacked before he could get the ball out. And I feel like as bad as the Niners corners have been, the pass rush could make that a non-factor for this Titans team, the way that their offensive line has played. So that would be my biggest concern going into this game as a Titans fan on the offensive side of the ball, let alone like trying to stop Debo Samuel and George Kittle. Bosa is going to have a field day, probably on either side. It doesn't matter if it's the left or the right, truthfully, because Tara <laughs> the one hasn't practiced in two days as, as of this recording. Uh, so not that he's, and he hasn't been very good in pass protection either, to be frank, but you'd obviously still prefer to have him out there. But then David Kissenberry on the right side has given up 11 sacks this year, leading the league in that metric. So Bosa is going to have fun. I also want it noted that Kyle very much predicted that Cody Hollister is going to have 150 receiving yards in this game. I, I heard that? it. I heard it just now. I, yeah, we heard I, if I bet the odds I could get on that would be astronomical. <laughs> I would bet it. I'll bet it. Why not? 
You'll bet anything. Who are you kidding? I'm going to go look. I'm going to go look, honestly, and see if I can crank that number up to 150 and see what alt receiving yeah. total for <laughs> good yeah, luck finding not? an odds good luck finding an odds maker that knows who cody hollister is <laughs> <laughs> they're like you're making that player up <laughs> yeah, that that's that's gonna be your biggest challenge look all joking aside kyle we've appreciated your time so much tonight this has been awesome in closing we're gonna ask you to leave us with a prediction it could be a score prediction if you feel inclined but if you don't it could just be how you sort of see this game unfolding I nailed the score prediction. I hosted the Niners pregame show for my station on Sunday and I nailed the 31 13 final. Um, so I'm feeling good. If this was a game in Santa Clara on a short week with the Titans traveling, I would probably predict something similar uh, just given the matchup, but the Niners are on a short week. They've got to travel. Um, I mean, the both teams are on a short week, but the Niners have the travel. And I honestly think that that uh, the Titans' defensive front is going to be a problem for San Francisco. The right side of San Francisco's offensive line, pass blocking wise, is atrocious. Um, they drafted Aaron Banks out of Notre Dame in the second round to to be the starting right guard, and he hasn't been able to get on the field at all. So <laughs> Daniel Brunskill is still their right guard, who's like he's like just below replacement level. And then Tom Compton is their starting right tackle because Mike McGlinchey got hurt and he's a good run blocker, but dude, it's, he is a traffic cone in pass protection. So that's something I think the Titans will take advantage of. And I think the Niners might have a little bit of trouble uh, throwing the football because of it. So I think San Francisco wins, but I mean, that's, I'm assuming AJ Brown and Julio Jones aren't playing by the way. And if they do, then um, it might be curtains, but uh, I think San Francisco wins like 20 to 17 or something like that. I don't, I don't, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know which version of this team is going to show up, man. Like <laughs> they're, they're, they're either really, really good and beating the Bengals in overtime on the road, or they're losing to the Seahawks by a touchdown. Like, I don't, would you, I, I don't know. I think the Niners win by three. I don't Sure. <laughs> Titans fans could at least look forward to, I guess, Harold Landry going up against uh, Tom Compton. I think you said his name was. Yeah, bro. Like, honestly, it's not even there. Go watch this. The safety Jimmy Garoppolo took against the Seahawks. It was Carlos Dunlap lined up over the right side. And remember the old NCAA football games where if you like hit the get off with the defensive end quick enough, they just knocked over the offensive lineman. It looked like that. Like (laughs) Compton was on his on his ass on his rear end uh before the shotgun snap was even to garoppolo it was unbelievable i've never seen it i've never seen anything like it he's he's that bad so that's something yeah if if the titans can take advantage of that like i said i don't know how the niners are going to be able to throw the ball uh consistently because jimmy garoppolo is not good under pressure so i think we're going to see that from both teams to be frank like both teams are gonna have trouble pass protecting in this game go ahead and San Francisco drafted an offensive lineman in the second round that has not hit the field yet. Titans fans have no idea what that feels like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I think the biggest, I think the biggest, I think the biggest, uh, the biggest difference here, uh, or the, the reason I think San Francisco pulls it out is the turnover problem that Tennessee has been having. If the Niners can generate a turnover or two, uh, I, I think that that, that that winds up being the difference because ultimately I think they're pretty evenly matched. 
Right. That's that makes a lot of sense. The Titans absolutely hate holding on to the football lately. They actually prefer to fumble it. So that does make a lot of sense. I mean, they've got 14 of them in the last three games. Tell me I'm wrong. Oh so, my or in God. the last three losses, I should say. So 13. 13 in the last three losses. 13 turnovers. Well, 13 turnovers. I think they've actually put the ball on the ground. Oh, they right. fumbled 14 times. They've lost seven of them. Oh, That's that in addition to Ryan Tannehill's... Seven or so, eight interceptions or whatever. So insane. That number is just crazy. It's they crazy. have lost. They yeah. They have fumbled fourteen times in the last three losses. They lost seven of them. Wow. That's un. That's like an unbelievable number. Yeah. It it sounds like the three of us showed up for a game of Sunday football, and we would probably fumble a lot if you yeah. three of us showed up. <laughs> I would play. voluntarily fumble to avoid being hit. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. So they, <laughs> they 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 seem awfully close to doing that. So uh, all kidding aside, Kyle. You've been a superstar as always. I'm so glad we got to do this. You and I don't get to do this enough because obviously these two teams don't play very often, but let's do it again. Let's call each other at 3 yeah. a.m. just to say hi. I mean, you, you don't, don't know do that. Else. For sure, don't hit me at 3 a.m. I'll be asleep. Well, it'll but, be my uh, 3. You know, it'll be your time. midnight, well, so we're fine. I got time. Oh, <laughs> I'm around then. Let's do it. There we go. Let's do it. So. All right. All right guys. Thank you, Kyle. We really appreciate it. Everyone out there, make sure you're following Kyle on Twitter at Kyle A. Madsen. We really appreciate the insight. Thanks, Kyle, for joining us and hope you have a great night and enjoy um, waiting for this practice, this Niners practice tonight on Tuesday. <laughs> I can't wait. It's going to be great. Pacific time zone sucks. I'll just leave you both. No, Pacific time zone <laughs> is the best one. What are you talking about? It's my favorite time zone. It's the best for sure. All right. Thanks again to Kyle for joining us, giving us his insight on the Niners. And you want, you want to leave this off with a score prediction before it's over? I will go, unfortunately, Niners 21, Titans 17. I'm going to go Titans 17, Niners 13, because I think the defense can needs to and can come up with a big win for this team. All right, that'll do it for this episode of the Music City Audible. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in. Remember to follow Justin on Twitter at JustinM underscore NFL. You can find me at Titans Film Room. We'll be back next week to preview the Titans-Dolphins game, their penultimate game of the 2021 season, and recap this Thursday night game against the Niners. That'll be next Wednesday. You guys out there, have a Merry Christmas. Have a happy holiday if you don't celebrate Christmas. And until next week, stay safe and tighten up. A Broadway Sports Media Production.